So, if you brought your Bibles, or maybe you have your devices with you, uh, if you don't, uh, our, our, our um, text will be on the screen here in a bit. Um, but I felt called, uh, again, sort of a background of this, I felt called to go into this tiny book uh, because I have been convicted lately of the need to focus and foster healthy biblical relationships uh, amongst God's people, not just here at Emmanuel, but in, in the broad community of uh, what we know of as the church. I believe that when we open up the pages of Scripture, uh, we see that God calls us to value and to prioritize and see relationships as the most important thing in life next to our love and devotion and service of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God is a relational being, and he has created us in his image so that he then has made us to be relational, communal people as well. We are to reflect him in our relationships and our interactions with other people. However, uh, the, the snare in that is that we are sinners, both by uh, nature and by choice. And any time that you get two sinners together, well, there's going to be uh, relational strife. It's just life under the fall. And so um, if we are honest, we would all admit that we uh, need, to, need some help in the area of healthy relationships. And if you're one that doesn't think that uh, uh, you are at that point, well, it goes without saying that uh, you need to know that denial ain't just a river in Egypt. Uh, it, uh, it is something more to that. In order to be spiritually healthy, we need to have healthy relationships. COVID-19 has not helped us with that at all, and it's not necessarily due to any one particular thing. It just is what it is. And uh, just this week, uh, in the New York Post, they published an article that stated that divorces are up 34% above what they were by this time last year. We also can go on any news article and we can see that mental health crises are on the rise. Suicides are up. Uh, and then uh, we also, on top of that, live in this cancel culture that wants nothing to do with those very crucial elements of healthy relationships like grace and mercy and, uh, and forgiveness and uh, rather, that movement wants to trade those things for public shame, ridicule, and personal attacks. More than ever, you and I need relationships. And we need relationships to be healthy. They need to be a deep, abiding, healthy friendships, healthy marriages, healthy workplace, healthy uh, relationships with, with children and, and, and uh, our, our elders. And it starts with us. It starts with us. So today we're going to look at something that we often don't want to face. That our relationships need help. They're not going to be fixed on their own. We're going to see why that is and we're going to see how we can begin to uh, break out of those patterns that our relationships often fall into. And so if you have your app or your Bible open to Philemon, we're going to start looking at verse 8, although we're going to be focusing on verses 12 through 16. Uh, starting at verse 8 will give us a context as to what's going on here. So 
uh, this is what Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man, he's not really elderly, he's probably in his 60s at this point, but we'll give it to him. And now also as a prisoner for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, and I'm sending my very own heart. I wanted to keep him with me, so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent, so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but out of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He is especially so to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So let's, let's get right into it. Let's dig in here. Uh, our relationships need help. And in this text, there are two things that we can take note of in order to start helping the healing process wherever we're at. And the first one is that we need to plug our relationships into a safe community. Plug your relationships into a safe community. The letter of Paul is all about this conflict between two guys. Uh, one's name is Philemon. He is the guy that the letter is written to uh, and addressed to. And the other one's name is uh, Onesimus. Uh, though scholars debate this, probably the best way to think about the relationship here is that uh, Onesimus is a servant of Philemon. Okay? There's this contractual thing uh, that's between them, and what ends up happening more than likely is that Onesimus steals from Philemon. Uh, we assume it was something of great value, and then he flees. He gets out of Dodge, and he, he goes off to Rome where, where Paul is. Um, though the details are unique to their particular conflict, the, uh, their situation is by no means unique. Uh, in any conflict that you and I have, it is going to boil down to the fact that there is one who is an offender and one who is offended. Okay? And it might be both at the same time. You might be an offender and an offended. Uh, both at the same time. And it really doesn't matter if it's something as petty as some childish way someone says something and you get annoyed by it, or whether or not it's something as serious as adultery or theft or any one of those ones that we look at as, uh, as, as very big deals uh, in our hearts and in our lives that are complicated. At its base level, conflict involves an offender and an offended but the story for these two individuals takes a turn here in verse 10, when Paul writes, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he's useful both to you and to me. 
So understand what Paul is essentially relaying here is that Onesimus, he is legitimately guilty of an offense against Philemon. Well, we've established that. This is, this is clear of something that's going on. But Phile- uh, Onesimus has come to know Jesus. His life has changed. And through Paul's ministry, he's come to realize the hurt that he has inflicted. And now it seems that he is ready and willing to go and face the difficult ramifications of his hurt against Philemon. So there's this major rift here between Philemon and Onesimus. It's personal and it's legal. It's also very volatile because if Onesimus goes back to Philemon without, a, without help, without a letter of recommendation, he is facing imprisonment. He is facing maybe beatings. He could even be facing death for the things that he did. So it's a very serious and it's a very um, delicate situation that he is going through here. But then there's this third party whose name is Paul. He's already had a relationship with Philemon who uh, we believe lived in, in Colossae. And it's because of that relationship to Philemon that Onesimus flees to Paul, who is sitting in a Roman jail cell. Paul leads Onesimus to faith. He disciples him as a new believer. He helps him to see the the baby steps that he needs to take as a new Christian. And the goal then is to be able to take stronger steps and stronger strides uh, until he is fully mature in Christ. And so he has discipled him And it's clear that he deeply, that Paul deeply, 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 deeply cares for both. We see this in verses 4 through 7 when he says this to Philemon. I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love for all the saints and the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that's in us for the glory of Christ. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Now, does that sound like someone who wishes ill on the other person? That's a very tender-hearted phrase there. And then he says to Philemon concerning Onesimus in verses 11 through 13, once he was useless to you, it's a strong term, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I am sending him back to you. I am sending my very own heart. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. Now, does that sound like a caring statement about Onesimus? Man, he's useful to me. I want to keep him here. It's my desire, but I want to do what's right, and I want to send him off to you, but man, I wish he were with me. It's obvious that he deeply cares about both. And he wants the best for both of them and ultimately wants it to work out for the glory of God as well. 
So he acts as sort of a mediator between uh, the two of him. Now, it's hard to imagine um, in a different scenario that if Onesimus had come to faith, had uh, uh, not necessarily had a letter like this from Paul, but he just decided to go off and, and go make it right with Philemon. It's easy to think how uh, that could have gone sour. Why? Well, Philemon might not believe him. This whole coming to Christ thing? Yeah, yeah, sure, Onesimus. Or what if he goes back to him and he says to him, look, uh, Philemon, I'm changed. I'm a Christian now. Let's just bury the hatchet. It's all said and done. Well, then what if Philemon has other servants? You may see a whole lot of servants suddenly coming to Christ. Oh, I'm a Christian too. Well, yeah, let's make it right with me and you, Philemon. Let's make this right. Or what if some of his servants are already Christians? How is that going to change the dynamics? Here's this guy that ran away. Boy, this is a, a sticky situation here. Onesimus and Philemon need the skills of someone outside themselves that can help them navigate the messiness of the situation. Many of our relationships need a Paul. We need a third party, whether it be a small group, whether it be a friend. We'll get more into that here in a second. But we need a third party who loves us, who can objectively see the things that are in front of us that we may not necessarily see, and love us enough to say something about it, to be kind and say, you know, that other person, they're kind of right. There's a reason why your conflict is going right now. And many of us need that kind of person or group in our lives simply because we are blind to the things in front of us. And also, because many of us don't have the skills to navigate through the complicated nature of some conflicts. Going back to that article in the New York Post that said that divorces right now are up 34% above what they even were at this time last year. One of the most striking things uh, that I read in that article was that it said that 20%, one in, one in five, that's 20%, right? Okay, yeah, again, I'm not, I wasn't a math major. I was just a music major. Needed to count to four, and that was good enough for me. But one in five uh, marriages that are currently in divorce during this COVID period are marriages that are six months or less. And the researchers found that the reason for that is is that these marriages that are six months or less simply have not had that time together in order to navigate through the tough kinds of conflict that we're facing right now. Economic issues and school issues and cultural issues and everything that we're, that we're facing right now. They didn't have the premarital counseling to help them think through significant stressors that would come through. We need a Paul for our relationships. And that Paul is a biblical community. We need a place that we can go to, to be vulnerable, that we can be loved, that we can be uh, cared for. And we often don't go for help because either we are in denial that there's a problem or we're too prideful or we're too ashamed to admit that something is, is deeply flawed. Now think about it. Many of us 
uh, or at least I don't, many of us don't have the tools that we need to fix certain parts of our car when our car breaks down. So what do we do? We take it to a third party, right? We go to the mechanic. Many of us, when we get a virus on our computer that is beyond our antivirus software or anything that we can uh, fix ourselves, what do we do? We take it to the third party. We take it to the geek squad. We take it to the, the friend down the street that's really good with these kinds of things. When we are feeling ill, we might have strep throat. We aren't able to fix that on our own. What do we do? We go to a third party. We go to a doctor. But yet, for some reason, when it comes to our relationships, we think that if we can just put up with it, if we can just bury it, if we can just hide it, deny it, or maybe even put gasoline on it, then it's going to be fixed and changed. Friends, it's not. We need help. We need a Paul. We need friends. We need a small group. We need a pastor. We need uh, maybe a therapist that can help us navigate through these difficult things. We need to find a middleman. We need to find a Paul who will love us, care for us, and help us plug those relationships into a safe community. So that's the first thing today. But secondly, we also need to see a deeper purpose for our conflict. We need to see a deeper purpose for your conflict. It probably isn't surprising to you, but would you believe me that I've met people that actually enjoy conflict? Yeah, there are people that enjoy conflict. It's as if uh, they are not happy in life unless there is some sort of drama going on in their lives. And you know what? That's not healthy. That is not good. Conflict is a direct result of the fall. Now think about when Adam and Eve immediately took of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What happened? They hid from themselves and from God. They blamed each other. They, they couldn't navigate around the, the marital roles that come into play in their relationship and suddenly there's strife and there's anger and there's hatred and their kids go wild and it, there's just so many issues that come from it. Conflict was not part of God's very good design for our relationships. But hear me out. That does not mean that God cannot have a, a purpose in our conflicts. If we're in conflict with our spouse or our children or our boss or in-laws or whoever it is, it can be an incredible opportunity for growth and relational harmony. As serious as this conflict was between Philemon and Onesimus, notice what Paul does. Paul refused to have a defeatist attitude. Paul refused to believe that this relationship wasn't worth the tough, hard work it was going to take. He didn't say, 
Well, yeah, Onesimus, you blew it, but I know how Philemon is, so you might as well just forget about the whole thing and move on with your life. He sends him back. In verse 15, he sees the divine purpose. Look with me in verse 15. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He's especially so to me. How much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So notice how Paul very, very subtly works on Philemon's conscience. It's by the power of suggestion. You know, perhaps God is up to something. Maybe there's something that's more to meet the eye. Maybe you left in this shady circumstance in order for uh, you to have your heart refined in certain areas that need to be refined. Maybe he left you to become the Christian that you had always hoped him to be. Maybe uh, he left so that you would lose a slave but gain a brother. It doesn't relinquish his guilt. Well, that's obvious. It, it doesn't take away from the fact that there may need to be boundaries that are established and, and uh, consequences that, that might need to be uh, employed if those boundaries are, are broken. But it certainly paves the road for the potential for something amazing. God's glory through the restoration of a relationship. When we are in conflict, what we tend to do, especially us of Scandinavian descent, we sort of build walls around ourselves. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it. We just want to move on and bury it somewhere. We'll push people away. Sometimes our perspective on them will change, even if we've had a perfectly good relationship for years and they do one thing, all of a sudden they're the most terrible person in the world. And I granted, there are some terrible things that people can do to us. But rarely will we immediately think, hmm, I wonder what God's up to in this. I wonder what God is doing Conflict is simply me learning something about you, you learning something about me, and what we do with it from there defines whether or not we are going to take it in a sinful direction. What I'm about to say I've said before because it bears repeating itself because it seems like all the time I keep seeing it coming back and back and back and back and again and again. As Christians, we tend to have uh, this weird thing happen where when we hear things like this preached or taught or we read it in the Bible or a Christian book or whatever, we wholeheartedly affirm it and say, amen, that's great, especially when it comes to that other person. think it's great. But when the conflict is in my corner, well, these rules don't apply to me anymore. 
Yeah, sure, I remember hearing them preach. Yeah, I remember I affirmed them. I, I read them in the Bible. I read it in this great book. But you know what? That doesn't apply to my situation because my situation is unique. Friends, it's not. We are just as bound to the Bible and Scripture in our conflicts as the person that is across the aisle from us. We need to stop that trend. Don't think that God's grace applies to you, but then you get to withhold it from others. It doesn't work that way. Think about the story of Joseph in Genesis. His brothers hate him. They sell him into slavery. He ends up working for this guy who ends up blaming him for, uh, for rape, which wasn't something that happened. He ends up in prison for a number of years. He ends up getting out of prison and serves Pharaoh. And then one day his brothers come to him out of an emergency, and he has the power to bless or to curse them. And he very easily could have said, <laughs> it's time to finally get these jerks back for what they did to me all those years ago. But he doesn't do that. What does he say to them in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20? He says, you planned it for evil against me. Even still, God planned it for good. So even in the most wicked things, God's at work somehow. Now, I, don't, I, I want to be clear that it doesn't mean that you should allow yourself to be abused in any way. If you're bu being abused, you need to get to safety, okay? I want to be sensitive to the fact that there are many uh, nuances in many of the relationships that are represented here. But what I am saying is that we need to have our eyes open and our hearts open to the potential that God is doing something in whatever it is that you are facing today. Paul saw it in what was going on between Philemon and Onesimus. Can you see it in whatever it is that you are facing? See, here's the thing. The unique thing about the gospel is how all-encompassing it is. We tend to think, and we need to get out of this thought, that Jesus went to the cross only to save us from our sin. That is true. He did. But we also need to remember that the gospel, what Jesus did on the cross on our behalf, in his perfect life and in his, on the cross and in his resurrection, applies to every aspect of our lives, our relationships how we carry ourselves. Christ's person and work apply to even your relational struggles. Christ died to make your marriage whole. Christ suffered so that you can have a peaceful and good relationship with your children. Christ died so that your friendships would not cause psychological trauma. In order to take hold of that, however, we need help. We need Jesus. 
We need to receive him firstly. And then we need the community of Christ, trusted and safe people that we can go to in order to work through some of these very, very difficult things. We need the power of the gospel through the Holy Spirit to redeem these relationships. And we need to trust that God is up to something. Friends, our relationships need help. The question is, are you ready to call out to God and ask for that help? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are messy people. There is not one person in here, Lord, that has not been affected by conflict, whether it's something that has been on our part or on the part of someone that has hurt us very, very deeply. But Lord, your son came to, to redeem those relationships. He suffered, died, and was buried and rose again to show the newness of life that can come not only as us and individuals in Christ, but also to resurrect those dead relationships that we thought were, were, were gone. And so, Father, I pray that you would be working on the hearts and the minds of those that are here today and those that are watching at home to go to you, to, to confess where their relationships are at, and that they would seek out your people that can help. God, I pray that our church would be a story of relationships that are redeemed, restored, and made new for the glory of Christ and the good of your people. Would you do that, Lord, in our midst? And it's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Mora, Minnesota. For more messages, find us online at www.emmanuelmora.com or on any podcast app. Visit our website for more information about our church or access more resources. Also, if you like what you've heard, consider partnering with us in our mission by giving financially. You can give a one-time gift or give recurring gifts at www.emmanuelmora.com or text the word GIFT to 320-313-1950.